So it's, uh, it's increasingly common these days in my house to hear a heartbroken, sad scream <laughs> from my wife. No, not from my wife. From, <laughs> from the basement. And um, it's, it's, it's a sound of frustration, a sound of heartbreak. And uh, it's not because my boys are, are fighting down there with one another all the time. But this particular cry is from Cohen, my five-year-old. He gets very focused in his playtime. He builds the coolest Jurassic Park block things. And then it all falls apart. He bumps it the wrong way. He's just heartbroken. Just heartbroken. Sometimes it's a master transformer hideout. You know, whatever it might be that he's building, uh, it, it's, it's heartbreaking. And he comes up and we give him hugs. We cover our ears because he's really sad, you know. But um, we give him hugs and we say, you know, Cohen, we can help you put it together. And he says, but it's not the same. It will never be the same. And he's right. You know, he's right. So that's a, we, can all, we can all remember a time when we were a kid, something we were working on just fell apart. Legos. Some of us can remember when we were adults and things started falling apart. <laughs> Families. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Things fall apart. They need to be rebuilt. But we have that, heart, that heartache of um, it's never going to be the same. It reminded, when I was thinking about Cohen, meditating on him this week, I actually happened to be in Ezra in my personal Bible reading. And so it reminded me of Ezra 3, 12 to 13. And this is when uh, the, the temple was being rebuilt. And um, Solomon's beautiful temple had been destroyed. It was a glorious, glorious, rich temple. And so this new temple was being rebuilt, but it just wasn't the same as the first one. And the priests and Levites and family heads who'd seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of the new temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could tell the difference between the sounds of joy and the sounds of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. You know, here's the people who said, yeah, we're rebuilding it. This is great, but it's never going to be the same. It's not going to be like it was. But the new generation was just happy they were getting the temple, you know? But all of us have been to a place in our life where something we've built carefully and thoughtfully has fallen apart. It's expired, had to be rebuilt. Whether it's our fault or not, it doesn't matter. We all are vulnerable to this happening in our lives. Uh, from, from our block towers to our careers. I mean, I had a friend lose his job this week. We've had loss uh, of friends this week to, to uh, disease and age. Um, maybe you are in a place right now where you feel like your blocks have fallen down and you wonder if it will ever be the same. Well, fortunately for all of us, our God is a builder and a rebuilder. This is the word that God's given to me for us today. God is a builder and a rebuilder. And because it sounded so catchy, I googled it to see if someone else came up with it already. Turns out, someone else put it in a sermon already somewhere. But I made it up. God is a builder and a rebuilder. Thank God for that. Maybe many of you have things coming to mind right now where, you, where things fell apart and you saw the hand of God build or rebuild. My family and I visited Fort Ticonderoga this past week for a school field trip. And what, one of the things you learn at Fort Ticonderoga is its history of being built and rebuilt. And that's actually the wall from the outside of Fort Ty. For, I'm going I'm to read this information because I, I did some studying and some research. But it was, Fort Ty was built by the French and called Fort uh, what do you think it was called originally? Do you remember? Any history people? 
was the original name of Fort Ticonderoga? You know what? It was Fort Carrion. It was built by the French in 1755, over a three-year period, to control the south end of Lake Champlain. And it's a strategic location between Lake George and Lake Champlain, where you, know, you couldn't really get by without going by the fort, so it was a great place to have uh, some, some, a garrison. So in the Battle of Carrion, 4,000 French soldiers were able to defend Fort Ticonderoga, or Fort Carrion at the time, from 16,000 soldiers, which just blows my mind. If you've ever been to Fort Ticonderoga and you look at this place, imagine 4,000 people inside the fort and 16,000 pressing in from the outside. Mind-blowing. And, you know, people coming by boat and carrying their boats across 8 to 10 miles of land just to get near the fort. 16,000. So, so there was a successful battle where the French won, but a year later, in the Battle of Ticonderoga, 11,000 British troops were finally able to capture the fort from the French. And maybe you've heard this story. As the soldiers, the French soldiers were leaving, they thought, well, they'd leave a parting gift, and they made a very long fuse into the powder room, and they blew that thing up. They blew up Fort Ticonderoga, Fort Carrion, uh, so that when the British came in, it wouldn't be such a nice fort to have. Uh, the British then worked for two years to rebuild and improve the fort. And they had it from 1759 to 1773 for about 14 years. But most of all, after they kind of did some basic repair work, they let it kind of fall into disrepair once again. Very soon, the fort was attacked in 1773 by the Green Mountain Boys, which you might have heard about them, led by Benedict Arnold and Ethan Allen. As before, he was a trader, and before, Ethan Allen had a furniture company. Isn't that like, I was Ethan Allen? He made my bed. But yeah, Ethan Allen was also a real dude who attacked the fort. And uh, the, the, th the thing that we learned from our tour guide was the British folks inside the fort did not know there was a war going on because they didn't have internet or phone calls. So all of these soldiers show up and they say, we take this fort in the name of, you know, the patriots and God and whatever they said. Um, and the people in the fort are like, what's going on? Like, well, we're at war and we just got your fort. Wow. An amazing kind of thing. So they surrendered to the, to the Patriot forces, the British. But then in 1777, General Burgoyne led 8,000 soldiers to capture the fort once again. At some point, it was renamed Fort Ticonderoga. After that, before that, in that battle, there were no shots fired. They just was surrendered it very peacefully. But after Burgoyne was defeated, a short time later, in the Battle of Saratoga, that's our history here, Fort Ticonderoga was abandoned. But first, what do you think they did before they abandoned it? They destroyed it again. Destroyed it again. So, in the years that followed, from the 1700s to the 1900s, nothing happened with the fort. It was just lying in ruins. But then a rich family named the Pell family bought the land, bought the fort, and, and remade the fort as well as they could, rebuilding up and that's original stone there that they added to and just built up into the historic fort we know today. It's been an attraction since the early 1900s. But if you count, the fort has been built and rebuilt three times, whether for military reasons or for tourism reasons, over this almost 300-year period, built and rebuilt three times, over and over and over again. The fort, its location, its... its um, advantageous location for, for battle made it very worth rebuilding all those years. 
So let me say it again. Our God is a builder and a rebuilder. And that's kind of a picture that helps you see what rebuilding can look like. A total devastation sometimes. A pile of bricks. God rebuilds as well. And having a people to call forth God's praise and minister before him in the world has been valuable enough to God that God, if you think about it, he's seen fit to build and rebuild his people many, many times. Every generation is a new rebuild from the ground up. Every 80 years or so, brand new students in the college classroom. And God has to build again and rebuild. It's striking looking in the Old Testament, God's people Israel. And again, those are the people that struggle with God. That's what Israel means. And he, he built and rebuilt his people in the, in the Old Testament. And now in the church, in this new age that we live in, every generation of new people that come around, the body of Christ, as we struggle forward with God, God rebuilds his people once again. A people to call forth his praises, to show his glory to the world, to be a kingdom of priests. And unlike any five-year-old with a block tower, God does not give up no matter how much suffering he has had to personally endure, how many tears he has had to shed over humanity. And you see in the Bible that he, she, he sheds tears over humanity. And Jesus sheds tears over humanity, unwilling to come to him. No matter how many tears, no matter how many drops of blood God has spilled, he's built and rebuilt us over and over and over again. A builder and a rebuilder. So why does God do this? Well, the answer is he's faithful to do it. And he's sworn on himself that he would do it. He hasn't said, if you guys perform well enough, then I'll do it. He's made the covenant with Abraham, saying, I will uphold both ends of the bargain. I'm faithful to do it. You know, like, like the French army leaving Fort Ticonderoga, the people of God have, in many, many generations, have gone up with a, with a pow. <laughs> We've had some bad years. We have put the, uh, the wick into our powder keg and blown the whole thing up. And many people that we know have blown their lives up. We've not only screwed up things and surrendered to sin and death, but we've also left a blast of gunpowder and, and in our wake, making rebuilding more difficult in future genera- generations. And that's why I think it's so difficult these days sometimes to be a healthy church functioning as God desires us to. Because we have to deal with all the previous generation stuff that they've left us with. And our own, then we make our own mistakes. But even so... God has sworn an oath by himself, on himself, on his own name, which is an unbreakable oath, to continue to build and rebuild his people generation after generation. And we know from Isaiah, he never grows tired or weak. He never slumbers. I watched Elias play soccer yesterday, eight-year-old, you know. I can't imagine running that fast anymore. Even Elias gets tired and weak, but the Lord never slumbers. He never gets tired. He's always working. I love the song that, that we sing. You're always working. You never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're still working. I love that song. He never grows tired. He's always working, building and rebuilding. And God will continue doing this until he says, 
the time for this world is up, and he comes again to reclaim his bride. He'll keep on building and rebuilding both our personal lives and the church. Whether that be New Life Fellowship as a church body, or the larger church of Christ, or other churches in town or around the world, he'll be building. The Word of God says in Philippians 1, 4-6, In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion till the day of Christ Jesus. Talk about an encouragement for us personally. And talk about an encouragement for us as a church, as a group of people trying to follow God. God is a builder and a rebuilder. He sees value in his people and he doesn't give up. The only way to really opt out of being a part of God's building and rebuilding project is just outright rejecting Jesus. Just saying, no, I don't want to be a part of it. Otherwise, it's just about opening the door and giving God access to our personal lives, to our church. God is eager to work in us. So if you continue to walk with God in faith, even if you do not fully understand, God's going to build and rebuild for his glory and for your good. Over the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at this idea, this, this vision that God has had from the beginning which appears in, in the Scripture, both in the Old and the New Testament, in, in the history of the church. And this vision is known as the people of God. It's a vision that God has, to have a people for himself. And from the beginning of time into the present, God has been building and rebuilding his people. And he has been simultaneously rebuilding individuals' lives, even as he rebuilds the larger church at large. So what does Scripture say? 1 Peter 2, 4-10 is a passage I want to meditate on today. With all of this in mind, it says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Such intimate language. Such intimate language. Sometimes sermons that people make up, like myself or other pastors, they sound very flowery to us. We think, well, that's a little too flowery. Read the actual word here. Just the, the way that it's described. A precious spiritual house for God. Wor- worthy. Whoever's reading this right now, this word, accepting Jesus, this is you. Precious. In God's sight. We love God and God loves us. 
God is building something special in our world today. Despite what you hear on the news, God has not given up his work in the world. What we see every day, the brokenness in our own homes and outward, the rubble and ruin of previous generations, Christians have blown up the the powder house and left a big mess. Um, There's a lot of rubble around us as God is building the church. But out of that rubble, God is building. And God is rebuilding. That makes me smile. I think that sometimes we, we think to ourselves, well, you know, it's pretty bad. Maybe God's just on vacation. You know, he hasn't been around for a while. Not so. He's there. He's, he's in the cells at the microscopic level, and he's in the, in the world, in the atmosphere. He's there. He's working. He never stops working. Out of the rubble of human history, God is building and rebuilding. He's building a new church. He's building a 21st century church, a time that no one has ever lived in, a time in human history that's unprecedented. He's building, rebuilding. And we receive this and accept this through faith. And once we do that, we start to see it through our eyes of faith. We begin to see the shoot coming out of the stump. The Old Testament talks about that, right? We begin to see the dry bones, the vision of the dry bones getting flesh on them. If we believe God is working in the world, building and rebuilding, despite all that has been and all that is, we begin to see it. As I was meditating on this idea, I just felt led to to write out kind of a, if you will, a prophetic or a, a word that I felt was just from God based on Scripture. But God says, I am a master builder. I have come in Christ to be the cornerstone of my church. Though it may look like Jesus was defeated by being rejected by the masses and his death on the cross, it isn't so. Not at all. It is all going according to my plan. Jesus came, lived, died, and rose again and sits at my right hand while also holding the house of my church together as its precious cornerstone. See? I am building and rebuilding once again in this generation. In 2021, in Saratoga Springs, fear not, be a little Old Testament for you, fear not about becoming obsolete or beyond repair or not reading the right book or hearing the right person or doing the right thing. Fear not. I have called you by name. You are mine. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I am doing a new thing. That last quote is from Isaiah 41, 10. You know, God is doing a work in this world. A friend of mine is part of a small church. He perceives his church that he loves to be in trouble. You know, the older saints in the church who are so foundational to the faith of the youngers are passing away into the Lord's presence. And that generation is passing away. And there doesn't seem to be enough young people or young families to sustain a future at least not from the natural point of view. He told me that in the way he looks at things, the church has five years if it doesn't turn things around. My thought and encouragement to him was, do not fear. God is a builder and a rebuilder, both in our personal lives and in the larger church. And Jesus himself is the cornerstone holding everything together. 
It's a time to inquire of God, to hear his whisper, and get to work with him as he works. It feels like we are losing, but we are not. God is fighting for us, and God knows how to rebuild, no matter how blown up or destroyed things may seem to you or to us. And this goes for church and your personal life. No one knows how the church should look in the 21st century. People have lots of opinions. No one knows exactly what to do or exactly how to engage with the world. That's a real struggle for Christians. But God knows. It's time to inquire of the Lord. How do we do this? How do we be the church? How do we get built and rebuilt into your house for Saratoga, in our case, for the world? Going back to our scripture, 1 Peter 2, 4, as you come to him, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. As you come to him, it says. Come to who? Come to Jesus. Step one is come to Jesus. No matter how blown up your life is, how confused you are about what it means to be a Christian in this world that we're living in right now, come to Jesus. You don't know where to start in the project of your own heart or your life or your church, but Jesus does. He's building and rebuilding. And who do we come to? It's Jesus, the living stone, it says in the scripture, also known as the cornerstone, like the song that we sang, or the chief stone. Cornerstones are exactly what they sound like. They're in the corner. They're the indispensable part of the, chur- the church, the structure, that makes the whole thing stand up. It holds the walls together and makes the whole thing stand up right. And without the cornerstone, the whole thing falls down with a mighty crash. So the cornerstone is essential. The cornerstone is Jesus placed above the wall to keep the sides together. It's good to know when you come to Jesus that he's going to know how to keep this thing together. He's going to know how to build and rebuild and hold all things together. Jesus is placed in the church to ensure the stability of what God is building. I mean, we've proven over history that we can't be trusted to be the cornerstone. (laughs) But Jesus... So God came and said, I'm going to be the cornerstone. I'm going to hold it together. I swear by myself I'll do it. I love the, the quote from Isaiah 28, 16, where we see that this has been God's plan all along. The people of God, the building he's, he's working on. It says in Isaiah 28, way before Christ, long before we were built and blown up and crumbled and rebuilt, God laid a stone in Zion for a foundation. A tried stone a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. And the one who trusts in Jesus will never be put to shame. This is, a, this is a faith thing. No matter how things appear in our church, in what people are calling the big C church, like the church out there in the world, the foundation stone is still laid in Zion and stands ready to be built upon and rebuilt upon by the master builder who is God himself, the one who builds and rebuilds. That reminded me of Romans 4.17. 
the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that are not as if they were. You know, when God called us by name, Isaiah says that as well. He, 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 he called something that wasn't. He made us into his people. And for what purpose does God build and rebuild in generation after generation? In, 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 a, in a time when, to many Christians, they don't see um, what God is doing in the world. In a time of ever-increasing godlessness and darkness. The answer is in our passage as well. The purpose of God building and rebuilding is that you, like living stones, would be built into a spiritual house in order to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 9, that we might be a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once we were not a people, but now he calls us the people of God. Once we had not received mercy, now we have received mercy. What's the purpose of God building and rebuilding? That we might be his people, a people for him. What about all the things that are swirling around in the world that we think, what's our responsibility here? What do we need to be doing? What do we need to be supporting or, or, or being against? You know, it's a very much like that in the world today. What should a Christian be doing? Um, coming to Jesus and then listening to God and seeing what he wants to do or what he thinks we should be doing. In an unprecedented time, maybe we'll look in, in, a, in 100 years in a text, history textbook and history of Christianity, and we'll say, you know, here's where they went wrong. If they had just done this. But now, I mean, God, God says, look to me now. I'm building this right now in real time. I'm building this. A people for myself. Believe me that this is what God has always wanted. When you read through the Old Testament and the New Testament, you see it. Once you get this idea in your head, people of God, people of God, from Genesis to Revelation, people of God, from Genesis 3 to Revelation 21, people of God, this is what God has always wanted. It's what God has built every generation. Every generation. And no matter how things appear to us in our natural eyes, he's still doing it today. He has not left us or forsaken us. And if you are willing to hear me prophetically, this is what God is doing in this church, New Life Fellowship, today. Today, tomorrow, and next five years, next ten years. Next 15 years when our mortgage is paid off in the building. You know, God is building his church. People of the word, people of the spirit, people who listen, people who love one another and are loved by the people that they love, people that love their enemies and pray for those who persecute them, who carry each other's burdens in love, and anything else God tells us to do that is unknown to us at this time. So how do we work with God to become the spiritual house for him to dwell in? How do we relate to God and how he's working among us. I think it's as simple as putting our faith in Jesus, that he's the chief cornerstone, he's holding us together. We don't need to hold the walls up. And then committing to do all that we can. To hear what God is saying, to solidify our place in his body as he places us together. You know, with, in, in, this, in this moment, in this day, God is building a people for himself. And every part is essential. Every person 
in the church is essential to the body of Christ. So believing that this thing's being held together by Jesus and that there is someone who's building and rebuilding, we can engage with our body of Christ here in faith and see how God leads us to tie in to what he's doing and listen to him together and be a blessing to each other and to our community in ways that God will show us. It struck me this morning that this, this time just spent in musical worship, something that the church has been told to do in every generation without any fail, you know. This is a, this is a thing where we center our attention on and our adoration on God and praise his name, and he is pleased to bless us with his presence as we do that, as we come together. You know, this is something that's so important because we're, we're training ourselves to hear from him. And we are working in our own hearts to follow after him. So how do we become a spiritual house for God? We believe that he's working, even when we don't see it. We seek to hear his voice, to be in his word, to pray, and to love. And we solidify our place in his body as he calls us to. We don't know how it all gets put together correctly, but he does. He is, he's the one that knows. For the next several weeks, we'll be pouring deeply into, this, into God's vision for a people for himself, which is called the church these days. We're going to be inquiring of God together. But find, foundationally, you must first accept God's salvation provided to you through Jesus by faith. Because the only sad part in this passage is the people that just don't receive the gift that God's given. The stone that is supposed to build them up and hold the thing together becomes a stone that trips them up and a stumbling point for them because they just won't believe and they don't get to be a part of the house God is building. So receiving the salvation God's freely offered through Christ, the forgiveness of our sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, we're going to be inquiring of God together and we're going to be asking him specifically, how are you trying to build your spiritual home in us? And how can we be a place where you are pleased to dwell. If the, one of the big uh, metaphors for the people of God in the Bible is a garden. So how is he cultivating the garden? These are things we need to trust in him for and listen for. And it's really, as, as much as it seems like a cliche, let me tell you, it really is being in the written word of God, loving, forgiving, praying, the, the basics. Let's get in. Just get in. But as many as choose to put their trust in Jesus' salvation as the cornerstone, his lordship, to inquire of God, to be a part of his people in our day, Jesus will definitely, most assuredly, lay you as a living stone alongside your brothers and sisters in Christ and build something beautiful, the people of God. God's special possession, a royal priesthood, a holy nation chosen and dearly loved by the Father. Just join me in a prayer. I hope that your heart is pulled towards this idea of being a place for God to dwell in your person. Not a building. No mortgage, none of that. Along with your brothers and sisters in Christ being built by the God who builds and rebuilds professionally in all kinds of circumstances. So I'm going to pray for us personally and also corporately. Jesus, uh, 
some of us that have heard this sermon are encouraged to, to remember that you build and rebuild and that your grace is enough for us in our weaknesses. And some of us feel like poor Ticonderoga, after the French just blew the thing up, in our families, with our children, perhaps some friends we're struggling with or with some people that have made themselves our enemies in some way. There's a lot of, a lot of this kind of thing happening and brokenness and I pray that we would trust you, God, by just coming to Jesus and trust you to hold this thing together for us. Give us eyes of faith to join you in the work that you are doing in our lives to become whole. And I thank you that that offers to every person. Secondly, God, there has been lots of rubble from previous generations of Christianity, and we've, some of us have contributed to that rubble. And um, it seems like nothing good could come of it, but we know that you are a builder and a rebuilder. And so we, we pray, Lord, that you would build your church at New Life Fellowship, where every person solidifies their place in your body and comes to know the joy of being a part of a functioning family of Christ that loves you, loves one another, and loves the world as you lead us by your Spirit. We come to you, Jesus, through this song, remembering all you've done for us and the way you've opened the way through the cross. Now I'm just going to lift my hands. If you want to join me, you're welcome to do that. But God, in doing this and lifting my hands, I'm saying, I want to be a part of your house you're building here. I don't want to miss out. Bless your church. Bless your body here today. Bless the church of Saratoga Springs. The other congregations who are lifting hands and praying to you right now who love Jesus. Bless your church in the world. Pray that we'd be part of the new thing you're doing. Lift all this up in Jesus' name. Amen.